Let's just pray as we start. Lord, we are here to worship. We are here to be in your presence. As we sit and listen to these words, Lord, may your spirit touch us. For each one of us, there'll be something different that you have for us this morning. And I pray for each one of us, you will speak to us. In your name, Amen. Amen. So I think it's true that conversations really matter, don't they? Conversations really matter. I think they have the power to be very generative and to really shape our experiences in life. Um, conversations can change the way we see things when we hear perspectives that other people have that might be different to ours, and if we're really listening to them. Uh, conversations can strengthen our resolve around something. If we talk about something with somebody and actually we find ourselves more resolved to take action as a result. They can help us to draw strength by being in conversation with friends and family. But in conversations also we can make declarations. We can make declarations of love. We, they can be places where we make promises to people. They can be places of apology, places of forgiveness. So conversations are really, really important if we bring ourselves to them with a presence and an attention to the person we're talking to. And often they shape both the way we see things, but then what we also do. And the conversation we're looking at today between Jesus and the Samaritan woman was definitely one of these. It was a conversation that really mattered. It mattered to her because actually she found some new hope of connection with God and a new faith through it. It also mattered because just after the reading ended, the next bit of the passage talks about Jesus then going with the Samaritan woman back to the town where he stayed for a couple of days and lots more people came to believe in him. So that conversation mattered because it changed the course of what Jesus then did as well. And let's be honest, most of the conversations that Jesus were in were conversations that mattered. He didn't really beat around the bush mostly, he was pretty good at getting to the heart of the matter. So this conversation was one that mattered, and I'm sure as you were listening to it, you'll be familiar with quite a lot of aspects of this story. Uh, so the surprising countercultural behaviour of Jesus, not only does he approach a woman, but he approaches a Samaritan woman, uh, and Jews and Samaritans weren't in common connection with each other. Um, you'll know about the surprising, you know, uh, the surprising fact of his words of knowledge about her husband and her current partner. You may also be familiar with the fact that the, the well that she was at was outside the town, and that may have been an indication of her exclusion from society because of her marital state, that she was going to get water at a distance from other people. So you may know about these aspects of the story, but what I want to look at is a particular part of the conversation where they are looking about, they're looking at worship. So after Jesus says, I know you've had five husbands and the man you're with now is not your husband, um, this leads them into a conversation about worship. And then we're going to look at that bit today. As a bit of an aside, as I was looking at the passage, it did make me wonder about the, the impact of Jesus' presence. So when he says to the woman, you know, I know about your husbands and your partner, her first response is, you must be a prophet. It takes her straight to that place. So he, he has words of knowledge about her, and it takes her to that place. And it made me wonder, you know, what, what was it about the quality of Jesus' presence, the quality of his um, being with her, 
that also influenced that statement of you must be a prophet. His presence must have been something quite special, don't you think? We know that it drew people to him wherever he went. And we know that it meant people listened to him. And I know it's not comparable, but I was thinking if someone came up to me today and told me things about my past, um, I would probably think they'd been doing a bit of research and talking to some people. I wouldn't just imagine that they were prophets. Um, and yet, if there was something about who they were, and something about how they were, maybe it would ask me to question more about who this person is, as well as what this person knows. And I was thinking about this because it then got me to wondering, you know, when I come into the presence of God, how long do I give myself time to really connect with the presence of Jesus? Um, Or am I busy on my agenda around worshipping him or doing what it is I do? I was walking down the railway line the other morning, walking with the dog. And this is the wonderful wonderful thing about having to write sermons, is it makes you think about stuff differently. I'd recommend it if anybody wants to. Um, and I was walking down the railway line, and my heart was full of a lot of things. And so I opened my mouth to start praying, which is, I often pray out loud because it helps me think. And what I noticed is I was just straight into my shopping list. Lord, la, 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 la. And then I, then I caught myself and thought, wow, I've not even taken a moment to arrive or to be aware that I'm in conversation with him and allow the quality of his presence to be with me. So anyway, that was a little detour about what might have been going on between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. But she she thinks that she's met a prophet, and then she's very direct. She doesn't beat around the bush. She goes straight to the topic, which is at the heart of the conflict between the Samaritans and the Jews. And she says, she focuses on the place of worship. And that's when she says, you know, my ancestors worship on this mountain, but the Jews you worship in the temple. And so that she, she, in recognising something special about Jesus, she then goes to worshipping God. And the first place she goes when she's thinking about worshipping God is the place of worship, the mountain that they're by. And it's called Mount Gerizim, and it was um, just looming over this, this town. So I was curious, and I started to look a bit more into Mount Gerizim, because I didn't really know much. And this is the holy mountain for the Samaritans. And they believed that the rock on top of the mountain was where Isaac, uh, Abraham nearly sacrificed Isaac. And as a result of centuries of feuding between the Samaritans and the Jews, the Samaritans were um, kind of locked out from helping rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And they were um, kept away from worshipping there. They were excluded. And so Mount Gerizim came, became their holy place. There was an Acropolis there in the years before Jesus. And then there was a church there um, in 480 BC, AD. And then after that church was destroyed, in the 8th century there was a Muslim shrine on, on the mountain. So clearly this was a mountain that was considered to be a very holy spot. Um, it was a place where generations and generations had felt a spiritual connection with God. And I was looking it up and I, I found this interesting piece on the UNESCO World Heritage website. The Samaritans who still live there represent um, the smallest and most ancient living ethnic community in the world, bound together by profound and rigid religious belief. And central to their belief is the sanctity of the mountain, as decreed by Moses, on which nearly 4,000 years ago they believe Adrian... Uh, Adrian, that's my husband. <laughs> <laughs> they believe Abraham may have 
sacrifice idols. <laughs> the Samaritans believed that Moses commanded them to protect the mountain as a sacred mountain and worship on it by making pilgrimages to it three times a year. These beliefs and traditions are still kept alive by the Samaritans, and that's what makes this sacred mountain a place of outstanding universal value. So, this is why we, I think the women go to this place straight away. This is where we worship, and this is where the Jews worship. And we know that place was very important in worship at that time. For the Jews, it was the temple. Prior to the temple, it was the tabernacle. And after the temple, it was the synagogue. So going to connect with God in the place where God dwelt was crucial. That was the centre point of worship. And place has significance in many other religions as well, doesn't it? We think of the, the pilgrimaging to Mecca. So the importance of place in worship. And interestingly, we see Jesus in this conversation doing what he does often, which is take an organising principle and turn it upside down. Um, so he takes what was familiar to people and he turns it upside down and introduces a completely new set of organising principles around their faith. So we'll unpack that a little bit more in terms of the importance of place in a minute. But let's first just check in on what we understand worship to be. Tom Wright puts it like this. The English word worship comes from the word worthy. Worship means acknowledging the worth, the worthiness of the one who is being worshipped. It means gladly recognising and celebrating who God is and what he does. So to worship is to hold something up and say that this thing or this person is worthy of our attention, is worthy of our time, our gratitude, our focus. This person is worthy of our devotion. And so we hear Jesus saying to the woman in her response to the comment about worshipping on the mountain, he said, a time is coming when you'll worship neither on the mountain nor in Jerusalem. The time is coming and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. They're the kind of worshippers that the Father seeks. So this brings us to the question, well, what does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth? Firstly, notice what he says about true worshippers. These are people who are defined by how they approach God in worship. They're not defined by where they go to worship, by what their race is, what their ethnicity is, what their rituals are, what their laws are. That doesn't define true worshippers. True worshippers are defined by how they approach God in spirit and in truth. So, what is it, spirit and truth? What is it to worship in spirit and truth? I think there's two levels to this. At the core foundational level, let's look at what Jesus does. He replaces the focus on place, the, the mountain or the temple. He replaces it by a focus on the person and the identity of God. He says, God is spirit. Worship in spirit and truth. Later on in John's Gospel, Jesus calls himself the way, the truth and the life. Worship in truth. God is spirit. Worship in spirit. Jesus is truth. Worship in truth. And so I think what he's doing is he's taking the concept of going to the place of worship where God dwells and he's turning it into this understanding that it is through his person that we meet with God in worship. And we know this, don't we? We know that, that Jesus' actions and his life 
his death and his resurrection, it, 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 it means that relationship with God comes through knowing Jesus rather than being at the temple or being a Jew. Um, it doesn't mean you don't need to keep the laws to be in connection with God. You need to be in relationship with Jesus. So fundamentally, he takes the idea of place and he turns it into the idea of person. This is the bedrock of worship. When we come to worship, we're coming to worship in spirit and truth, meeting God and meeting Jesus. He seems to be saying that this is true worship. And I'm wondering what does it mean on a practical level to worship through God, the Spirit, through Jesus, the truth. Perhaps it's about remembering that when we come to worship, we're coming to the person, the identity of God, the person with all the characteristics that we know and that we love. It's not about the ritual or the habit. It's not about the custom or the place. Let's find, let's try therefore and give ourselves time to meet him when we come to worship. As we choose to give our devotion and our gratitude, let's give it the consequence and the significance that we give meeting with someone precious in our lives. Let's give it that consequence. This is an important conversation with a person that we love. So I think the foundation is that we come to worship through, through meeting the person of Jesus, the person of God. And then on top of that, I think there's another layer that we can understand worshipping in spirit and truth. And I think this is about the attitude of heart and mind that we bring to that meeting. And if we read the same passage in the message, I think that's really helpful. Let me read it to you. Jesus says to the Samaritan woman, it's, it's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in pursuit of the truth. This is the kind of people that God is looking out for those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in worship. God is sheer being in itself, spirit. And those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. I think that kind of says it all, doesn't it? Isn't that wonderful, that translation? So worshipping in spirit, our spirit is the essence of who we are. Perhaps worshipping in spirit is worship that arises from the genuineness of what's going on in our hearts and our souls and allowing God's Holy Spirit to be in us, to meet with him. Worshipping in truth, this I think is about engaging our minds and engaging our cognitive facilities. We have got minds. So this is worship that's rooted in the place of knowing, of knowing who Jesus is, of knowing the promises, that God has for us, of understanding the power of his grace. So worship from this place, which is worship in truth, I think this can happen even if we're not caught up in the, in the sense and the emotion of awe. This comes from a place of choosing to worship because we know certain things are rock solid. Worshipping in truth, I think, gives us a perspective on why reading scripture and liturgy are useful in some of our worship. Um, services, because these are things that restate the truth that we believe. So worshipping in spirit and truth is about recognising at the foundation level that we come to meet a person. We don't have to go to a place because he's already here. And that person is in essence spirit and truth. And the attitude of heart and mind with which 
come to meet that person is the heart and mind of spirit and truth and it engages the whole of us. Tom Wright again, you can tell as I, as I preach, I often refer to Tom Wright. He reflects on Christian worship and he says, Christian worship integrates the whole person, spirit and truth, and it integrates the whole community. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew, if you're a Samaritan, it doesn't matter where you historically worshipped, you are integrated. And it integrates the whole of creation. The whole person, the whole community, the whole of creation. Worship is including and integrating. So as we think about this and come to a close this morning, let's remember that conversations really matter. And this conversation made the world of difference to this woman. Um, and for us, let's think about it. Wherever we find the places we find it easier to worship, and for many of us that will be different, whether it's coming into this building, whether it's going to a, a grand cathedral, whether it's sitting on the mountaintop, or by a beautiful flowing stream in a valley, whether it's in a lake or on the high seas, we'll all have places that are precious to us and that enable us to worship. But wherever that place is, wherever we value going to worship, the heart of the matter is to connect with the person of Jesus. And whatever form of worship that works for us, whether that's some worship, listening to amazing music, liturgy, silence, meditation, whatever form of worship we value, the heart of the matter is to connect in spirit and in truth with that attitude of heart and mind. So let's learn together to worship in spirit and truth. And why do we bother with all of this? Well, at the end of the day, it's because the one who we worship is the one who brings life and is the one from whom every single element of love and lightness in this world stems from him. And our capacity to be free and live the lives that we were designed to live in freedom, they come from this is why we even bother. So maybe as we finish the sermon now, let's just take a moment of silence. Give yourself a moment just to arrive in his presence in a different way. Just to appreciate and connect with the quality of who he is.